Hey, let's kick off an all-new issue of Geek in the City Radio, which is brought to you free every week from the folks at, well, where else? Geekinthecity.com. You can also watch us stream the show weekly every Tuesday on twitch.com forward slash geekinthecity at 6.30 p.m. Pacific Time. If you enjoy the show, you can also help us out over on patreon.com forward slash geekinthecity. Your support there helps us do more content and create more shows and overall make it a better experience for you, the best audience in the world. As always, always share the show and make some comments for us or give us a five-star rating on any of the platforms you enjoy listening to this show on. And with that, let's kick off this all-new issue of Geek in the City Radio. Why, hello, and welcome to issue 666 of Geek in the City Radio. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron Duran. I'm one of your other hosts, Spinarita. And I am your other, other host, the sinister Cable Hashitani. Hello, villains. Oh, I didn't know we were doing spooky names. Oh, God, what a fucking day. Oh, I, didn't, I didn't give myself a spooky name. I, I was just reacting to the fact that this is finally episode 666. Subtitle, Who Shall Make War with the Beast? I I thought we were the beast. I don't... Beast. Hello, asshole. Don't call me that. Don't call me beast. Uh, I don't think Cable's there yet. Oh, no, no. That's from the movie. Never mind. That's from the movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Never mind. I take it back. What movie? What we do in Uh, the shadows? What we do in the shadows, yeah. Oh, yes. I don't get it's been it's been far too long since I've seen that. It's been a while, yeah. No, don't can't do that. It's one of the few movies that I have watched multiple times. I don't really do that much. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Clickety clack. <laughs> oh no. I'm so, so uh Later, right around a uh, little bit, we are going to have uh, a guest on the show, uh, Mr. B. Dave Walters. If you do, if you watch any kind of like real play D and D shows or Vampire by Night shows, it's a good chance you have seen him. Um, he's hard to forget because he's apparently like six foot five. He's he is a tall man. <laughs> His bio says he's six foot nine. Oh, six wow. nine! Wow. Yeah, That's- he's. I've seen like him posing with pictures of people that are, you know, also tall, and I'm like, he's like towering over them. Um, so I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna keep my comments to myself. Yeah, Me six too. nine. So uh, never mind. Hey. I don't, <laughs> um, but that's not why he's on the show. No, that is not why he's on the show. I have been, you guys have heard me talk about the Black Dice Society, which is kind of where mm-hmm. I first discovered his work. Uh, I've been following that since like episode two, you know, join the Patreon. 
And uh, I'm just like a big Ravenloft nerd. So I was like, no, one day I want to just talk to him. But I see he's posts about like running games and writing and stuff. And uh, I just really dig his style. So yeah. Wait, you're a big Ravenloft nerd? How did I what? I know. Who would have guessed? Um, everyone. What? Everyone who's ever met you. <laughs> what? Okay, I'm not going to watch the chat because I don't understand <laughs> anything right now. <laughs> That's um, okay. You know that was in like the the public one, right? Yes. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm trying to have a laugh with the listeners. Leave me alone. Okay. Thanks, uh, It has been... Yes, I know. Um, never mind. Um, which means I... Well, I'll send them the link here in just a moment. So yeah, I'm just going to talk about I, I'm sure they get these questions all the time. I still don't know how people pull off like live streaming games. Like, how do you make them work? Um, and it seems like it's going to be a real pedantic question to ask them. And maybe it's different. Well, I'll just wait. <laughs> I mean, no. to be f- the majority of live play podcasts and video casts are heavily edited. Right, yeah. Um, the I think the um, the exception to that rule is Critical Role, which rolls into that was sorry that yeah. was a, a, a which they don't heavily edit it. They just kind of go and it's the actual entire play session, which means you've got like a four hour video to sit through. Um, yeah, un- which unedited. Is- which is difficult for me. It loses my attention rather quickly. Oof, yeah. Like, yeah. Like the, the adventure zone is edited like they And they, uh, like they probably spend three hours at the table and cut that show down to about an hour, hour and a half. Right. Um, it takes a long time though. Um, I believe the, <laughs> the hosts of kill every monster said that um, for every hour of audio, it's two hours of production, like post. Yeah. Yeah. Just not just like editing out like the stuff you're not going to use, but also like dropping in asides and sound effects. They, cause they have, they do a lot for their show. Yeah. And I like their production values too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To be fair, a ROM is a producer that's a producer akin to Aaron where they are very particular about how they, they produce and edit shows. They have specific things they're listening for and how to sweeten audio and what is a tight five minutes versus a loose five minutes that I think 87% of listeners don't pick up on. Yes. <laughs> you, you have higher standards than, say, the people that may be listening or your other co-hosts. Yes. Use <laughs> yeah. the loud keyboard. Which is fantastic. Like, I really, like, I love the fact that you are that skilled and that passionate. And a ROM of Kill Every Monster self-admittedly is the same way. He's talked about right. the fact that production should not take as long as it does it takes that long because it's he's do, the one doing it and he's just that kind of a nerd for it right 
and it is probably a better source of it. In, I know it seems it always comes back to money, but like if you make a bit more doing it, it's easier to justify your time doing it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. No one really pays us to do this show. We we don't do hardly any post-production. Um, you get what you get. Um, and we, we, you know, we, we put time into like planning our stuff, but in terms of like once we've recorded it, that's kind of it, right? Except for... Yeah, the- and that's... And it doesn't, it never fails every few months. Like someone says like, you should do, you should do like a live play or a radio drama or stuff. And I've got to the point where I'm like, I'm not doing it for free. Like it's an incredible amount of work. Like Mm -hmm. it's a lot of work Mm -hmm. that I just don't have. Yeah. The the cleaner something sounds, the longer it took to get it to you. Like we we considered that for this episode, we were and like it's still on the table something that we'd like to do, but we considered doing some sort of horror live RPG, mm-hmm. but that would have added one more person to the table because the three of us would have been the players. We would have needed a DM, right? Um, that means that turns into a three-hour podcast. Or, and then yeah, and then yeah. editing that down to maybe one and a half. Mm-hmm. Plus the amount of time that we are asking an unpaid DM to put together an adventure for us. It's a one shot. Right. Which is a lot for them to do too. Like that. Yeah. I think that's, I don't know if we should save this for our guests and talk about it a little bit. I think these like online DMs are, that's really nice. Homicidal fire cow. Um, they it Portland is not good at supporting those things. They're they're yep. very bad at it. As in, it doesn't work because it. I have tried. So, um, if we were in LA, that would be that would not be a problem, right? And I know you uh, can say no, Norm. We also not. have. We would also have a a producer who is not one of the hosts and it would be, we would have an agent that would do handle the bookings for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it would be a paid job. It would be a paid gig on top of like three other paid gigs that we were doing, but it would be more of a paid gig than, than doing it in Portland. Portland is a place where you come to incubate ideas and they either grow to a point that you have to take them to New York or LA to sell them. Um, I'm going to send it the link. Um, or y- you let it stay here in Portland and do it because it continues to be a passion project and it is not about making it a get rich quick scheme. Yeah. That's why every successful stand up comic that starts in Portland eventually goes to LA. Yep. They there's only so love, much growth. Yeah, yeah, they may still love Portland and love to perform here and have friends and family here. Portland, for all of its claims of supporting the arts, doesn't. Not really. Not in the long term. If you've ever had long conversations with me at, at, uh, at the gallery back in the day, you heard me say that Portland is fantastic at supporting the arts. It is piss poor at being a patron of the arts. Right. 
That's a really good way to put it. Yeah, that's a better way to put it for sure. Um, Absolutely not. <laughs> no, he Norm. says responding to Norm's Norm. Norm in the chat. Oh, I think our guest is about to jump in. <laughs> we'll put a pin in that. That's good because Norm's on a tear and we need to get him off of it. <laughs> well, right before our guest joins us, this is a really good spot to take a break and talk about our sponsors. First up, our longest sponsor is, of course, Guardian Games. You can find them at 345 Southeast Taylor Street in Portland, Oregon. No matter what kind of game yourself, a friend, or loved one are into, Guardian Games will have it. Theme, genre, type of game. If it's still available, Guardian Games will have it. If not, I can almost guarantee they can get it for you. So get all of your gaming needs fulfilled at Guardian Games. Um, in a few minutes, you're going to hear us talking a lot about role-playing games, and specifically Dungeons & Dragons. Um, if what you hear makes you sound more interested in the game, and I really think it will, the benefits of community storytelling within D&D and, and all role-playing games. But what I'm saying is that there is a brand new starter set. If you are new to the world of role-playing games, and specifically Dungeons & Dragons, there's a new starter set called Dragons of Stormwreck Isle. It's for brand new players and DMs. Um, I've seen some of the previous starter sets. They're all really good. Uh, they have good play replayability. And if you end up having fun, they are a great springboard for a much larger campaign if you then want to commit to the full D&D experience. So I can't recommend them enough, and I can't recommend Guardian Games enough, who is also sponsoring the HP Lovecraft Film Festival this weekend. So if you have tickets to that show, uh, and I, I really hope you do, it's always a great time, you will see Guardian Games there demoing probably some Lovecraftian or Cthulhu-themed games that you can then go to Guardian Games and pick out. And if you run into them at the Lovecraft Film Festival, you know, maybe thank them for sponsoring uh, Geek in the City Radio. That goes a long way when you let a sponsor know that you uh, are that listen to the show and you are thankful that you that they support, you know, us. So, all that. Guardian Games, please check them out. 345 Southeast Taylor Street in Portland, Oregon, or this weekend at the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival at the Hollywood Theater in the Hollywood District of Portland. Then we get back to it. Before we get back to it, a big shout out to Rev Nats of Reverend Nats Hard Cider. You should join the mailing list. Uh, basically, if you ever ordered from shop.revnats.com and had something delivered, you're on the mailing list. Um, he's got some new ciders that are out right now that are all delicious. Uh, if you go to his site also, he is up in the running for one of USA Today's top 10 cideries in the country. Uh, I do think he's currently sitting at number 12. So uh, go to the site, click on the link. He's made it really easy to vote for you. Uh, you know, Revnat has been here for the show and really the Portland community since the beginning. So let's maybe show him some love back. And then before we start the show, return to the show, let you know that on Saturday, November 5th, at Revnats is their seventh annual apple juice market. This is this is not an alcoholic thing. Uh, there's no alcohol, so you can bring your kids, but it is like a working brewery, so there's not a whole lot they can do. Um, but if you ever wanted to make your own cider or make your own anything that requires large amounts of apple juice, go to this. It's free to attend. You can buy the same juice that Nat uses to make his ciders. If you're curious about making cider, you've never done it before, I know that uh, Steinbart's, one of the country's best homebrewing shops, from in, is in Portland. They always set up a table at the event. So, and it's also just a fun thing to do. It's that time of year when you want to do kind of harvesty stuff. So check out the Apple Market on Saturday, November 5th 
at RevNat's new location. If you go to his website uh, or facebook.com forward slash RevNatCider, you'll get all the details. Whew, that's a lot going on. Let's get back to the show. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Welcome our guest, Mr. B. Dave Walters. How are you, sir? Oh, no. Why did you mute? Oh, please tell me this isn't happening again. Look look for a little red microphone indicator on your computer. Right there. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I, oh my God. I don't think we could have handled twice in the same show. Yeah, we panicked <laughs> because we were 10 minutes late in starting because we were having mic issues. We're like, come on. Yep. <laughs> nope, no problem. I've done this a timer 500. So. Yeah, you've only done it a few times. Thank <laughs> you for joining us, sir. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, for folks that know, I, I mentioned before the show, like I first was introduced to your work because I became a huge fan of the Black Dice Society. Um, yeah, I think I joined in right around episode two or three, and it was literally like my weekly thing I was looking forward to every single week and continues to be. I was, I was, like, I was like, hey, why are you talking past tense? We're not done uh, no, yet. We got three episodes left. I know. <laughs> um, I'm actually holding off right now. Because I'm doing that thing where, like, you you know, like, all things must end. But part of me is like, that's just going to, like, it's going to be gone. I got to yeah. say, so I'm watching in, like, 20-minute increments yep. kind of thing. Nope. I very much get it. Yeah. Is this uh, is this legit episode number 666 for the record? It, re- it, it is. really is, yes. <laughs> yeah, I <Yep>. did. <laughs> no. right. um, no, I'm, I'm signal boosting in real time here. Oh, Excellent. thanks. I'm yeah. glad that if we could not have specifically done something you know, very horror focused for this particular episode, we at least have a guest who can appreciate mm-hmm. the number of the episode. At least, right. at least we got it. Yes. I'm, yeah. I'm on the most beastly of episodes. Yes. That's right. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for having uh, me. Yeah, it's great. We actually tried this is years ago back in terrestrial radio on June 6, 2006, when I was working in radio, we tried to do a live D and D session. Um, which, for those who are curious, it doesn't work if you put five radio station engineers with a mic and have them play D&D. It just devolves into just chaos and really bad locker room humor. So, I'm like shocked. playing D&D. Yeah, yeah, I guess so, but with 100,000 yeah. watts, you know, broadcasting over the area. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I did a talk radio show for about seven years. So, yeah, I remember those Ooh. days. Yeah. Yep. I remember those days. You have radio war stories also. Indeed. Indeed, I do. But it's, uh, you know, it it was a good time at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I want to, like, first off ask you is, like, when when did you kind of get bit by the role-playing bug? Like, when was the moment where you're like, this this could be for me? Oh, I was there when the deep magic was written. I grew grew up during the satanic panic. So, yeah, (laughs) I've I've been playing since I was 13. Yeah, uh, I almost um, I, I barely remember a time when when this wasn't my jam. Um, when I, I grew up sci fi superheroes, the whole nine yards, my mom exposed me to all that stuff at a very early age. And um, when I was 13, a friend of mine introduced me to the game of riffs, um, <clears throat> which, um, if you don't know, has a horrific power creep problem. Uh, yes. So we, we outgrew riffs pretty quickly. And a buddy of mine who was an absolute hipster was like, oh, if you're going to play those games, you got to play D&D. And uh, <laughs> got the old second edition player's handbook with the dude on the horse on it and the in the janky yeah. spine that unravels and the rest is history. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. I think mm-hmm. on mine, I finally cut off the spine and my best friend's father owned an office supply shop and we just put them all into three ring binders. 
Yep. Just tore them yep. all apart. Exactly. Well, it became, it's like, um, you know, where black belts come from is it used to be everybody's belt was the same color. And over the time you spent on the mat, it just got dirtier and dirtier and dirtier. And so you could <laughs> tell who the higher level students were because they had black belts. It's the same thing with the book. The more yeah. busted ass your player's handbook look, you're like, oh, that dude, that dude, he knows what's up, you know? Yeah, yeah. He's, they've been doing this for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how did you, uh, did you have to kind of weather the satanic panic era? I grew up in a very small town where my local bookstore, her name was Margie's Book Nook. She hid our D&D books for us. She was a Ooh. saint. Yeah. Shout out to Margie. Yeah. <laughs> you know? uh, yeah, no, I'm from Little Rock, Arkansas. I'm from the South, Ooh. so oh. yeah, I was neck deep in it. <clears throat> Sorry. Man. <clears throat> I'm choking to death on the episode of The Beast. Oh, man. Oh, well, no. yeah. It was bound I to will, happen. I will die as I've lived. Yes. <laughs> um, no, but I mean, we also, but by the same token, people didn't give us a huge problem. I mean, I had friends whose like parents burned their books and all that stuff, but we'd play at the Ooh. church. Yeah. I yep. mean, a, a couple of times they were like, Hey, is this okay? And we'd be like, yeah. And they were like, okay. You know what I mean? We weren't, we, we weren't bad kids. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. sort of like, yeah, it was uh so it, think, it was relatively painless for me personally. But I mean, I watched it go down all around me though. Yeah. yeah. yeah My I, favorite was always if they caught me with the D20 at school, kids saying, like, are you summoning the devil? I'm like, yes, and this is how it's done. Yeah. <laughs> roll, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Don't mess with me. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> mm-hmm. I took my copy to church camp, so yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My, uh, that. When I when I met the kids from Stranger Things, when I did that one shot for them, I told them I was like, you know, the the show you guys are playing was my actual life. This was my actual upbringing with yeah. slightly fewer monsters, but only slightly. Right. Otherwise, this was my life. Yeah. Yeah. I've had people ask me like, was it? It couldn't have been that bad. Like the Satanic Panic wasn't that bad. I said, you. Yeah, it was. They <laughs> were nuts. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. I was like late 80s, but my town was always, I always say my town I grew up in was five years behind the culture. Mm-hmm. So we were always, but yeah, I mean, we got hit like just bad. It was, it was awful. I had friends that contemplated some dark acts because they were picked on so bad for doing this. I, but I, I tell people all the time though, I believe D&D exists as it does now expressly because of that, because it became dangerous. It became countercultural. I mean, mm-hmm. otherwise there's not a monopoly subculture. Uh, everybody's got a copy of the game. <laughs> you pull it out of the holidays, renew your hatred for your relatives and you don't think about it again. It would, right. D&D would have been just a game, uh, yeah. but that it became like such a thing for so many people was that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's and it still kind of has that era and aura of danger to it. I think Wizards is doing like trying to pull away from it, but there's mm-hmm. always going to be that group of people that are like, no, that's the devil's game. You to know? which we say, good, good, <laughs> excellent. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. so much so that when I started in, when it was in high school, my family forbid me from playing it, but they had no problem with me playing uh, Vampire the Masquerade, or I don't know if you want a game. It was called In Nominee. It was like a or a cult. Mm-hmm. The French game. Like, these are games that have, like, like legit screwed up things in them. My mom was like, well, it's not D&D. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like there there are neither demons nor devils until demons actually showed up in the world of darkness. And then, <laughs> you know, you are the devils in that yeah. world. So, yeah. Super. Yeah, everything's Although, great. Although, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, shout out to Clan Venture while we're talking about it, though. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. Okay, I'm not going to bring any of that up. I haven't played Vampire in a long time, so I don't really know what clan I affiliate with anymore. I got some ideas, but I'll tell y'all. <laughs> but, uh, All right. Oh, that'll be fun. 
I think you just got red, man. Mm-hmm. I might have, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if we had more time, I'd tell you about the day that I ruined an entire town here in Oregon's um, their official like vampire masquerade clan. They were part of the like the U.S. story, mm-hmm. and they invited us to their Halloween thing, and they were complete dicks. So we got them all wiped out. It I mean, kind of it kind of felt good. It was they were having a. They were having like the prince had just died, so everyone's guard was down, and I was like, "You guys are being dick to us, so yep. screw it, burn them all down." <laughs> yep, nails shut the uh, the doors to their havens and set them on fire. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that tactic got- has worked since the fourth century. Yep. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it always works. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got a few listeners here. We got a guy named Norm from Texas. Hey, Norm he wants from to know- Texas. What was the most epic Norm. moment? I'm sure that's the very he first time that. he's heard that. No, all, all the time. Be the first. Yeah, a very timely topical allusion to a show that <laughs> went off the air 30 years ago. Uh, if yeah. he could, if he could text images, we'd probably get these stares and texting with him just sweating profusely as he's staring at you. <laughs> um, Don't blame me. Blame your parents, Norm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he wants to know what's the most epic moment in all your years of playing D and D. If you could pick one. Uh, problem. Uh oh. This is slightly cheating because technically it was a game of Pathfinder, but Pathfinder was just three point five. So in my yeah. mind, it counts. Yeah. Um, because mm-hmm. I was a fourth edition refugee. I I, I button hug over to Pathfinder for the entire run of a fourth edition, same, and it was even uh, it was even a relatively late adopter, a fifth edition. I mean, it was out two <laughs> or three years before I came back and tried it. Um, I had a guy who his character concept was he wanted to be a dragon slayer from level one and of course you're not slaying any dragons at level one no but that was his thing that's what he wanted uh in pathfinder they had something called an arrow of slang shot uh, and it was set to a certain type of creature and if you shot them with the arrow um they had a relatively easy save to make but if they didn't make that save they died when oh, they shit. were at like level eight or so i gave him an arrow of slang shot for dragons and about a year later like a calendar year later we had this big encounter and a dragon was going to attack the village and I had it all planned out like round to round. Like round one, the dragon's going to fly over and breath weapon and round two, it's going to land. And then round three, it's going to leave again and all this stuff. And um, I'm describing it all. We get there, we roll initiative. He goes first. He's like, I'm going to use my arrow slang shot. I'm like, you're going to do what? And he's like, arrow slang shot. I was like, oh, okay. Because I mean, it's, it's, it was a laughably low con roll and dragons got pretty chunky con yeah uh he rolls to attack natural 20 oh, i roll God. to save one. Oh, oh my <laughs> round one minute one shoots the thing out of the sky and of course he's blind they all just explode at the table and i was like i mean hey the, the dice had their own story to tell and i always point that out especially to um a lot of storytellers who haven't been doing it this long because I very easily could have just been like, oh, it makes the save or, oh, there's a second dragon, you know, trying right. to preserve my adventure. But it was more important to give them that moment that all these years later we all remember. So, yeah, yeah no, yeah. Getting the story out for that. Um, how do you kind of balance that out? Um, like I, I am primarily a DM with our groups. I wish I could play more, but I mean, mm-hmm. I have fun playing. But one of the things I'll find myself wanting to do is. I'm I'm never an adversarial style dungeon master. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very much of the yes and. Like if you can if you can sell it to me, it may not be easy, but I'll let you give it a shot. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But every once in a while, and I try not to do this, but every once in a while, if the story's going so well, especially if they're fighting right up to the big bad or whatever, mm-hmm. and I roll the dice behind my screen or something, and the dice say, this character is screwed. Like, in my mm-hmm. head, sometimes I think, is that fair to them? Like, they've come this far. What can I do other, D- than, other than wiping them out so the story goes on? The DM screen only exists to fudge rolls to the player's advantage. That's the sole purpose of the DM screen. Like, people that, don't realize that. Like, that's what it's there for. Yeah. That's a um, perfect answer. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it, 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 at the end of the day, your job as a storyteller is to elicit an emotional reaction from them. Um, in contrary to pub popular opinion, or some opinions at least, <laughs> making things too easy, actually nobody wants that. Uh, sometimes, at least on occasion, do smash their heads in, you know? Even if, uh, let's say you come along and you have a situation like that where it's supposed to be a TPK, the dice say, not even you, the dice say, they get run over. All right, they come to in a dungeon, chained up and shackled. You know what I mean? Like, that Mm -hmm. doesn't have to Mm -hmm. be the end of the story. Right. Um, You know, unless you decide it is. Um, that being said, you also can always just flatten one person because as long as one person lives, the campaign lives, you know, maybe the rogue gets away and has to go rescue their friends from the hospital or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, no, that's, that's actually something much that I very much agree with. Um, I can't think of a time that I've really gone out of my way to protect a character. Um, like one time at an old Ravenloft game. Yeah. It was a total party kill. And I had them wake up and they woke up in Victor Mordenheim's lab, like in tubes. And I like, you look around and your heads are in different boxes and they're like, what the, what the Mm -hmm. shit? You know, (laughs) I also, a lot of times when people are dropped into death saves, a lot of times I'll have the gods appear to them and offer them deals. And it's usually negative gods because they're like, you know. As Modeus realizes you're in a bit of a pinch, you know, and then maybe they negotiate and make a deal or something that is just going to extend the story in a different way later on. Or yeah. sometimes they're like, no, I'll die and I'll die a hero. And then maybe they do die and that's got some weight. The thing about D&D, though, is past a certain level, death is a revolving door. That's yeah. not actually death. Mm-hmm. Um, you've, you've got to do something else to you know, permanently incapacitate someone. Uh, but you, you get moments where now it is more than just dice and death saves, you know? Um, like I, uh, um, I don't know how far you into black, into the black dice. Society, uh, I so just I'll, wrapped I'll be... up. Um, I've got two left for the most, so whatever, 20, um, if you're like two behind, you've probably seen this scene. I don't even completely yeah. remember where it happened myself, and I won't name the character in case somebody's not caught up because you super should watch it because the show's kind of incredible. It really, um, it really is. There, there's someone who is in death saves, and a god comes to them and is like, "I'll help you. You don't have to die like this." And they roll and they fail their first death save, and I very much describe it like, "Oh, it's getting darker." Not not won't be long yet, you know, and kind of feel their their hand on your face and type thing. Yeah, because then you're actually ratcheting up the tension, and each one of those rolls counts. Because if they get a one, everybody knows what that means. But if they get a twenty, it's like, hooray! Yeah. So yeah, I've got someone in the current Ravenloft game I'm running. I'm not going to say because they also listen to this show. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but they have been saved by their their patron, who now really. Is that got a hold on them? It was it was enough that they you know this was already their warlock patron, but now this patron is like, 
you owe me so much now. Like only free cheese is in a mousetrap. Yep. That's right. And then someone else in this show might have taken Harkin's bite on accident because he thought she was cute. So she thought she was helping. <laughs> Tom- Thomason is a very naive and well-meaning nice. young lady. Oh, that's great. You have to tell me where you got that because I I need one for, for my character. This is actually a raptor claw from Universal Studios. It's a Jurassic <laughs> uh, Park uh, okay. But you know that that's a werewolf fang. You know, that's a fang enough. Yeah. 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 Okay. I just, I just got to pop down to Universal real quick and, uh, and get one for my character. That's all you got to do. No problem at all. Yeah. When, when, uh, when, when, um, uh, DJ Knight created Desmond and wanted him to be a lycanthrope, I told him about the fang necklace and he went out and got one and he wears it every single time he's had it and never taken it (laughs) off in all these episodes. Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. Um, when did you start DMing? I mean, is that something you kind of start off with or did you play for a few years first or? No, it was all kind of interrelated, especially because I, I didn't run that game of riffs. But again, my buddy that um, showed that taught me or introduced me to D&D rather, like a lot of times we just play one on one. So I did that show on YouTube a little while back on Q Times YouTube, the one on one shots where I'm playing with just one person, mm-hmm. um, which was unusual to a lot of people that saw it. But to me, that was how I played the game first. Um mm. And we just take turns doing it. So, uh, I mean, as far back as I remember, I, I was telling stories as well as playing in them. And my first character was an elven fighter mage thief based on Vampire Hunter D. Very big head, very big sword. Oh, oh I love God. it. You love to yeah. see yeah. it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, my Couldn't God. figure out how to have a talking hand. Besides that, all the rest of it, yep, had it. Mm-hmm. I do kind of love that almost everyone's first character is, always, is usually based on something from pop culture that they like. Mm-hmm. Uh, mine was a half-elf ranger who was basically Nightwing. I wrote the whole backstory. Parents killed, raised by rich elves, is now out for vengeance, or yeah, whatever. My friend was like, Did you just Ac- roll up Nightwing? I'm like, eh. Acrobat in a traveling circus. Yeah, props to you for making Nightwing and not Batman, though. So there you go. Uh, but he did give me a free cloak of the bat from the old second edition, so I could kind of walk the line. <laughs> <laughs> that counts. Yeah. Um, oh, I had something that just slipped out. But so one of the things I really appreciate with the work you do is you also are a big advocate for like diverse voices in, mm-hmm. in role and like in role playing in general, uh, gender identity, sexuality, racial issues. Mm-hmm. Um, like when did you see that shift starting to happen on a more positive note? Cause I have memories of playing younger and it was always um, very kind of cis white dominated. Uh, and then oh, yeah, I got, then I, stuff. no, yeah, I got and then, white people stuff. That's right. what it was called. Yeah, it yes. was. <laughs> and then because of, you know, economics, I got out of, for various reasons, I didn't get to game for like a decade. Mm-hmm. And then when I came back, I was like, oh, this feels way more inclusive and not like cringy sometimes when I read the books anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny that you say that because part of the reason why I never got into minis, I still don't use minis, is uh, I couldn't afford them at the time. So I played theater in the mics. That's what we had. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I got shelves and shelves of minis that people have like given me and sent to me uh <laughs> and i very rarely use them with one glowing exception here hang on i'm gonna show you my prize joy <laughs> my big old girl my chalky girl tiamat mm-hmm. you know she uh oh man she, she gets a lot of play she gets a lot of play but most of the rest of them not so much did you uh did you paint her yourself no, this is the Whiz Kids TMI. Ah, okay. Um, she comes painted. Uh, to, to, to be fair, I, I work at a game store 
there is a painted and unpainted version of Tiamat. All right, well, that is the painted one. No, if, yep. uh, if she had come unpainted, she would look pale gray for all time. <laughs> um, it's a lot of paint. There's a lot of service to try and paint with it. Like, yeah, yeah. I've had and people I'm, pick up the unpainted ones, and I'm like, are you just going to go next door and get some house paint? To, like, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm not area. that dude. Yeah, God bless the people that are. That is not yes. my form of artistic expression. Yeah, um, It's hard, man. Yeah, uh, but you when when did the see the reality is different kinds of people were always playing these games from the very beginning. I mean, women were playing, people of color were playing, all kinds of different people were playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just rarely were the faces of it. Uh, it was it was like a subculture to the subculture. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I hear all the time, the two main things I hear are, you know, I never met another person like me that was playing, or I always wanted to and never had the chance. Hmm. So I think as as streaming sort of rose up, you know, 2016 into 2017, and it kind of became cool to watch people to do it, then the door just sort of opened further and further. And that also kind of synced up nicely with 5th edition, which is relatively accessible and relatively easy to learn. Um, yeah. You know, compared to, yeah, having to having to calculate Thacko and, and, and Ben Boss lift gates, you know, like we used to have to, have to do I was that play a game. I was yeah. that unsufferable player when they transitioned from, from second to third, where I was like, what is this base attack? This is all, no, this is not my D&D. And then I sat and played it and I was like, God, Thacko was dumb. Yeah, Thacko <laughs> was dumb. Yeah, and that, that was that was one of the things, and and I'm I'm still not sure exactly how it's going to work out with one D and D. Although one D and D is still pretty heavily a fifth edition chassis, because I said I mean I talked to the developers. I'm like the problem you guys have is this is about the purest expression of this game that you right. got, and and the problem with fourth edition is it was too radical of a departure. Uh, if they'd call fourth edition D and D tactics, they'd be printing books now. You know, right. it's just trying to say, like, here's the thing you love, but new and different. We're like, we want neither of those things. <laughs> so, yeah. mm-hmm. I always I've never actually hated the fourth edition mechanics in the system. It just didn't feel like D&D to me. I well, felt like yeah. you could layer that on like a, a superhero game and it, it would I think it would pop. They intentionally tried to make a tabletop MMO. They went exactly. after the MMO audience in 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 a way that was successful. The problem was it completely alienated all the people that actually wanted to play the tabletop game. So right, yeah, um, no. So I I think that's what it is. It's 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 everybody was already doing it, and then there was just sort of this like cultural upswelling. Um, I mean, in 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 a big part of this though, my career exists in large part of me being very publicly critical of Chult. When we were doing Ask Your Black Geek Friend when Tomb of Annihilation came out. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is just very tone deaf. I mean, the original Chult was racist as hell. But it was the product yeah. of the time. You know, cannibals and pygmies, bones in their noses and all that stuff. And then this Chult came along. And it was kind of like this just sort of lazy post-colonial thing. And I was like, y'all, this is a fantasy world. The black people could have lived on the moon. Like, what is this? <laughs> uh, it's clear to me that no people of color participated in this project. And to the eternal credit of Watsi as a company and Greg Tito as an individual, they were like, hey, you're right. We'll do better. And they have. And they yeah. brought in, you know, people like me, um, uh, Jasmine Bular, Gabe James, Tanya DePass, you know, too many people to, to, to mention, Serena Marie, um, Mackenzie DeArmas. I'm going to just keep randomly spouting names. That's good, you know, yeah. <laughs> that have 
that over time help add those different perspectives into it and and you can feel it and you can tell yeah um I'm trying to think so i've i've read like i've heard like some critiques and some like questions about how like like d d is maybe too much of the you know the juggernaut in the room that when people think role playing games, they immediately think D and D, and I feel like Watsy kind of gets a bad rap for that because I don't feel like they push that narrative. Um, I mean, I don't know if they do. I don't pay attention enough to that. I just play the game, kind of thing. You know, I'm like haters gonna hate, man. I'll, I mean, I'm lead developer of Into the Motherlands, another game. I've played just as much Vampire. I've, I've written for tons of things. Almost all of these things exist because D and D came first. You yeah, know, that's that's yeah. like being mad at the NFL because your you know local Rough Riders Arena League football team can't get any <laughs> attention. It's like well, yeah. you're good, and people will come to your games. I mean, that's not can't hate on them for for having succeeded because it has been a very rough, difficult, and improbable road for them yeah. to have accomplished what they've accomplished. And it is kind of the gateway. Like once someone plays mm-hmm. D D a little bit, they're like, "Well, what else is there?" And you're like, "Well, welcome." Mm-hmm. Like you swing the doors wide open. Mm-hmm. It, it, mm-hmm. it does the same thing that like uh, Games Workshop does for miniature games, where it's it is the 800 pound gorilla in the room, and every other miniature game either tries to be like it or be completely different from it. And mm-hmm. I, I feel like that happens with so much of the RPGs that are out there. There are some fantastic RPGs that are indie RPGs that have no similarity to D&D, but they were inspired and they have place in the room because of D&D. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. You know, absolutely. It's just, hip's just going to hipster, man. You know, <laughs> it's kind of like, get out of my face with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the only real problem is there's not enough time to run every single game. Like I look at my gaming shelf and go, <sighs> is, is I tried. gaze longingly over there at a shelf full of games that I've never played ever. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I I'm yeah. already I'm already pre bummed out knowing that when I get my copy of Into the Motherlands, I'm going to read it cover to cover and go. I don't know when I'm going to get to run this. Or play no, it. that's not what's going to happen. You're going to read it cover to cover and be like, "Word, we got to play this tonight." <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's probably yeah. Well, I had the mm-hmm. same effect when I got Coyote and Crow. I just yep. loved that book. Oh um, man. Oh, yeah. we should do one of those. Yeah. Yeah. We, you know, it's, um, I, I don't, you know, we're obviously with our fledgling little game, not trying to take on D and D. I don't think anybody should be trying to take on D and D. And I know for a fact, D and D not trying to take on anybody else. Right. Mm-hmm. What you got to do is just tell the best story with the purest expression of the world that you can, you know, create a place that people want to get lost in, um, and give them the tools to do it. And, you know, the, the, the people that want to come there will, and that's okay. You know, I mean, yes, D&D is this behemoth, but people seem to lose track of the fact that it's also been at it for 50 years. Right. Even Vampire's been 30, although I guess they were dark for, you know, a few of those, but still. Right. It's 30, 30 years this month, which hurts me to say out loud, because I yeah, was I also don't... there when the deep magic was written. But also, still shout out to Clan Ventru. I will keep. I will. I will pull a different uh, accoutrement from over here every time I reach. I yeah. mean, since I was a theater nerd all through high school, I was I was Torador for a long, long time. But it doesn't quite fit me anymore. So you I'm shut go your mouth, say, Cable. I'm gonna go ahead and say Malkavian. I do Possibly feel comfortable ministry. there. Possibly ministry. That's where I'm so out of. I don't know what that is anymore. I'm it's really the old, out of um, the old followers of set. God, yeah. I did love that clan. See what I say. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. 
got to brew my heart and bury it somewhere. <laughs> yeah, now the uh, they, the client literally in world, they went through a rebrand. Like they were like, mm, let's put a new face on this uh, that is non-specifically legally distinct from Scientology. Um, and, <laughs> oh, shit. You know, and they uh, they they uh, they exploit human weakness. So they invade a lot of cults and religions and belief systems and just sort of redirect hedonism and belief to their own greater, greater good. The greater good. The greater good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How does your uh, storytelling style differ? Depend is it system dependent or is it do you kind of read the players? No. Um, I mean, it's somewhat genre dependent because you know at one point I was running the official comedy D and D show for Invitation to Party, the first game on TV, <laughs> and running an official horror stream at the exact same time um, with the Black Dice Society. It's uh, my style is again i'm always trying to elicit an emotional reaction as i said i as i look at what the players do i ask myself what is the worst possible outcome from this course of action and then i do that thing <laughs> so the, the stephen king approach mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that yeah. that that never scares me wrong i uh <laughs> i i, I think of, um I, whenever i come up with an obstacle i make sure that i know that i know of at least one solution and then I make that thing as hard as possible. Like, I invent <laughs> kryptonite, and then I throw Superman at them. And whether or not they figure out kryptonite exists is not my problem, because I know. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Because then, then, there's, then there's glory in overcoming it, you know? Um, and and that's, that's the actual thing uh, people are after. They, they're, they're after having struggled for something that is ultimately worthwhile. Because there's no there's no faster way to kill a group than have them struggle for nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they need to struggle for something, but then it means something when they achieve it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've told my group before like there's nothing worse than when I give you exactly what you want. It's going to be a price, but you're mm-hmm. gonna I'm gonna give you what if you're gonna try for I'm gonna let you pull it off. Well, you know, I <laughs> I experienced I beat D and D. I won the game. Uh, in three point five, I had a druid planar shepherd with the uh, saint template and the vows of peace, poverty, and nonviolence. That character was literally unkillable. Literally unkillable. <laughs> I could beat anything, and nothing could beat me. And that was cool for maybe two sessions. Right. And then you're like, oh, oh, I won. Oh. Now what? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, the enjoyment's so. not there. It's yeah. it's mm-hmm. fun to be unkillable for a little while, but eventually you're like, there's no I have no emotional investment if I can't be hurt. Yep. Kind of thing. There's no yeah. point in playing a game you cannot lose. Yep. Yeah. That's just true in life. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh so if you what kind of recommendations would you give to someone if they wanted to start some kind of like online game streaming? If they wanted it well, like do you recommend starting with your friends or actually building something up and creating a creating a schedule and a pattern and both both yeah yeah i mean start start with your friends because you guys know each other and you're gonna have a good time um as long as the people at the table are having a good time the audience is having a good time and there's some things that you will just learn from just the time that you spend on it and when you start you'll be terrible i mean everybody is like you know your stream will be unwatchable at first everybody's (laughs) is 
you know, <laughs> but then you learn and you find your groove and you find out what works for you. Don't try and emulate anybody because I give this speech all the time that people are like, oh, I can't do what Mercer does. I can't do what Brennan does. I can't do what I do. And I'm like, no, you cannot. <laughs> no, right. you can't. You really cannot do what I do. You know, yeah. you really can't do what Mercer does. You really can't do what Brennan does. We can't do what you do. We can't tell your story. We can't take those players on the adventure that you can. And that's what the world needs. And now, especially in the darkest timeline, people yeah. <laughs> are desperate, uh, not just for distraction, but they're desperate for meaning and joy in a sense of uh, belonging and collaboration and being a part of something. Because when this, when this genre is done well, it feels like you're at a table playing with your friends. Um, yeah. In, especially during the pandemic, uh, and to a lesser extent now, as we're all sort of uh, re 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 socializing for the first time. But yeah, it's um, my advice is do it. Get a get a camera, get a four K webcam, so Logitech's like two hundred bucks, and then get a Blue Yeti mic, which is also about two hundred bucks. So you're <laughs> all in for about four hundred bucks, uh, and start with that, and then build up. Right. Nice. Where do you see like the evolution of like role playing it, like where do you see this going in another five years, in terms of like, yeah, where is this? Where is this going? I put a lot of thought into this because, quite frankly, I do everything within my power to shape where it's going, uh, or at least help shape where it's going by some of the stuff that I do and the stuff that I participate in. I think, um, I think, and not, and let me tell you in advance, not everybody agrees with me because I have this conversation with a lot of people. I think we will see an influx of corporate money in branded deals and stuff. And then you're going to see that money flow back out again. Because it is very difficult to monetize <laughs> streaming and monetize this content. And right. I've seen a lot of people already try and apply a film business model to streaming and it doesn't work. And a TV business model doesn't work either. Right. And enough companies and investors have seen there, there's something here there's smoke here you know when right. when when it was released how much money critical role was making on twitch i guarantee you there were a lot of meetings and a lot of boardrooms the next day um i think you're also going to see the establishment of there's already a couple but a few more just like flagship institution brands in streaming but there's still going to be a ton of like also um indie ones like uh, have you ever been to gen con i have yet to make it unfortunately well one of the things that struck me at gen con is there's a hell of a lot of games in this world and i didn't know like i mean there's times you come into this gargantuan hall and there's just games and devs as far as the eye can see and, you know, there's a couple of huge ones. Like, D&D doesn't really have a presence there. But, I mean, for, for the sake of argument, let's say they do. You know, there's the D&D booth. There's the World of Darkness booth. There's the Chaosium booth. And then a ton of ones around it. I think that's what, what it's going to be like. I don't think it's going to stop growing anytime soon. But I think, uh, for lack of a better word, it's almost like uh, the streaming middle class will evaporate, if that makes sense. Yeah, unfortunately it does. That's something yeah. I do I do comic book writing and comics publishing and we're we're going through that now. Um as larger companies are buying smaller press companies, they all want to make the next MCU. So they're not 
buying a publishing company to publish comics. They're buying what they think is viable IP. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't cash out immediately, they just start chunk. They just start carving it off. Just you yep. know. Yep, um, I'm, I'm going through something similar because I, I wrote a, an official D&D comic, Dungeons and Dragons of Dark and Wish. And now we have uh, Electropunk, which we kickstarted, which we've just released the fourth issue. And now we're in talks with a, a major a major publisher that shall remain nameless till a lot of things are signed uh, to, uh, to to put it out there. But that's that's exactly what it is. People just want IPs. And I'm like, guess yeah. what? Ours is for sale. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. If you want to talk when the cameras aren't on, I'm going through something very similar right now with a book that I have out. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a weird time to be in the kind of the creative markets right now because I feel like they see dollar signs and we just want to tell our stories and make a living. What I will say though is something that is going to be true because I hope nobody hears what I just said and takes that as being, oh, I shouldn't do it because I mean nothing. I mean, that is not what I mean at all. If you want to do it, do it and do it to mm-hmm. the best of your ability. Um, if you've never heard of it, Google something called a thousand loyal fans, um, hmm. which the very quick paraphrase is you don't need millions or even tens of thousands of people to support you. You only need about a thousand people that will buy anything you put out to build <laughs> a very successful career off of that. So the, the bar is relatively low to find your particular tribe. And the joy of the internet is it has democratized the planet where because in the past i tell people all of entertainment all of it was controlled by about 75 people yeah and i don't mean that in a predatory way i mean just if you didn't get a nod from this director or this casting agent or this producer you weren't going to have a career it just wasn't going to happen for you uh the internet took all that away Uh, you can go straight to the people with what you want to create the hard part now is being heard above the noise because so can everybody else. Right. But mm-hmm. with the entire planet, you know, they're like my biggest followings, especially back when I used to do just ex- exclusively motivational content in times long past. Uh, <laughs> my number one market was L.A. My number two market was Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. And I still don't know why, but for whatever reason, they were picking up what I was putting down and I was like, okay. (laughs) Our, uh, yeah, our biggest market here is the Pacific Northwest because we're out of Portland Mm -hmm. and almost without fail, our second biggest market, I don't know why, is New Zealand. They love this show in New Zealand. (laughs) Uh, What time is it down there when you guys, when you get, like, what time is it now? Hang on. Oh, it's oh man. I think they are um el- it's, it's like tomorrow. Eleven it's, hours. Yeah, it, it, like twenty-three you, hours ahead. So that's yes. like a one hour difference, but the next day. They are it is it is three thirty in the afternoon there. So a lot of yeah. people are probably listening while they're at work. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so I three thirty tomorrow. Fun. Hello, New Zealanders from the future. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Bring us over there, we'll do a show for you live. Mm-hmm. Do whatever you want live. We'll do it live. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, we'll do whatever you want live. That's <laughs> on the internet. However, New Zealand, I said I'll do whatever you want live. I will do it. I've been doing there. I've been doing this show for 17 years. I've done video, film, radio, now comics. I am 100% for sale. <laughs> like, you know, here's the thing we all are man just some people yeah. realize it that's that's it that's mm-hmm. it yeah yeah 
and I think my price is pretty reasonable, even so. <laughs> it's I too am surprisingly affordable. Yeah, no, I get it. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. <laughs> so, is there a uh, is there a system yet that you haven't really had a chance to run that you've always been curious about, and it's always like, well, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I mean, I I I. I, I I always hate it when people ask me questions like this because my answer is always anything I want to do, I do. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I've heard great things about Blades in the Dark. Haven't played Blades in the Dark. Mm. Hey! Yeah, yeah. And We, um, we just started that. Um, mm. You kind of have to change your mindset about role-playing in general um, what, because it works backwards and it's so story-driven. Um, in. In early in early version of Into the Motherlands, uh, we we kind of inadvertently recreated Blades in the Dark, and somebody was <laughs> like, "Isn't this Blades in the Dark?" And we were like, "Oh, lay Google, yeah, yeah, that's what that's what we did." So scrap all that, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And also our game when it's done, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm definitely I'm looking forward to that. I was I, I jumped on pretty early on back on that one. Appreciate so, you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I mean great. it's 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 playable. Um, the stream is coming back this week. In fact, I think stream comes back tomorrow, uh, and they're going to be playing it on the stream. So that's that's uh, we've been play testing, but that's going to be our real stress test of every time they're like, "I want to do this thing," and it's like we don't have rules for that. I'm like, "Cool, make them up right." Then. <laughs> I yeah, will definitely so. want to check that out because I feel like you like the Kickstarter for Into the Motherlands came about right around the same time that like Coyote and Crow went to print. And I was really in the, and I'm still this way where I was like, I'm really tired of like European focused or foundational role playing games. We so were, I, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, we, that's fine. We overlapped with Coyote and Crow by about a week. And I think we either, either we came just behind, like Coyote and Crow had ended like a week before we launched and we overlapped with, um, um Ouroboros. It was like a Coyote and Crow Ouroboros and us all about the right. same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh um which was both good and bad because I mean we we did we did very well, very well. But a lot of people had already spent their money on Coyote and Crow and Ouroboros. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, we had um we had them on when they were launching it too because I think one of the creators is from Portland. Mm-hmm. So that made it a little bit easier to just just have them in the room with us and stuff, but mm-hmm. Um, Wait, one of the creators of which thing? Uh, Coyote and Crow, I'm sorry. Mm. Yeah, yeah, nice. Um, and it's just nice to see other cultures or new versions of history or what if being worked into into role-playing games. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's it's fantasy, you know? Um, in, in There's room for everybody. Um, in genre in general, there's room at the table for everybody. In right. every in, in my ethos as a storyteller, is everyone needs to see their self reflected in the narrative in narrative form, both as hero and villain, to have something to aspire towards and something to want to avoid also. Because I I, I come across this a lot of times where some communities are like, you know, our character can't be the villain, our character can't die. And I'm like, yeah, they can. Because right. what you don't realize <laughs> is when you start trying to put those constraints on storytelling, people just <laughs> won't have your kind of character in the story. Mm-hmm. That it's like, if this is going to become so difficult, I just won't do it. Um, but I mean, I'll tell you something that happened the opposite. I, I have to be very vague. I ghost wrote in 
installment of a very beloved horror franchise uh, <laughs> that I shall not name. And when I was creating the characters, I actually had actual humans in mind that I know are actors to play each one of them. So each one of the characters in the screenplay I knew was based on a person. So when it came time to cast, I was like, well, that dude is that dude. And that woman is her. <laughs> and um, and uh, one of the things, you know, so I had an Asian character and an LGBTQ character and all this stuff. And one of the notes I got back from the studio was, can we combine the gay character and the Asian character and can we kill them first? And I was like, no, no, and no. Actually, Fuck. They, they, Classic. They, they said Ugh. that shit to me, and this was uh, this wasn't like eight years ago, by the way. I, this was like during the pandemic. Somebody uh, said that out loud to me. I and uh, yeah, I want. It's like I, I want to say I'd be shocked, but I'm not. I've gotten yep. that. I pitched a comic just a couple years ago to a publisher, and they said we like all of this. Um, could it be less Mexican? Because we don't know how to market that. And I'm like, no, yeah, no, it, no, it can't. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. People are on the, angry on the internet as we speak about whether or not it's okay for elves to be black. Yep, yep. <sighs> I'm like, they don't exist. It's make believe, buddy. They be yeah. whatever you want them to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, Which, by the uh, way, he's mm-hmm. also the most interesting character in that show for me. But, you know, uh, (laughs) believe it or not, and this is something I've gone on record many times, I'm actually usually against taking a beloved character and just race swapping them. Sure. Uh, Because for me, that's pandering. (laughs) You didn't give us anything. You you painted your leftovers. That's not what I'm interested in. Uh, So when people are like, we're going to make Superman black, I'm like, don't. That's not Clark Kent. That's not his story. Now, you want to tell a Val Zod story? Let's go. Mm -hmm. You know, g- g- give us give us Valzad, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. give us um, uh, Lucius Fox's kid whose name eludes me, who uh, becomes, yeah, who becomes, yeah. who becomes uh, Batman at one point. You know, that's cool. I, I don't suddenly want gay Asian Bruce Wayne. I don't. That's not him. Um, right. But that being said, um, when you have situations like this where you just have the opportunity to make things more inclusive and more egalitarian and you want to fight that, that is more of a comment about who you are than the media. Like, I was going through this today, and I tried to be polite, because I was going to go a different way with it. But uh, She-Hulk, and all these basic dudes that are like, She-Hulk's just bashing men. And I'm like, if you see yourself reflected in the men they're bashing, then you suck, you know? (laughs) That's your problem. That's you're kind of telling on yourself, man. You know, I'm like, you're like mm, yeah. maybe that's their existence every single day. And maybe you should just listen to that. And uh, if you can't see it, can't hear it or are mad about it, then I'm here to tell you, you're a part of the problem. So, well, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> wow. I, I'm I just thinking that about that. From soul. That, that was, that was the deep seated soul sigh. Yeah. yeah. It was. yeah. yeah. Well, oh, it's, it's so fun to be a woman. <laughs> or or any other variety of minority. Yeah. Yep. 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 It doesn't at all stress you out and give you a stroke when you're only 46. <laughs> <laughs> Statistically Sorry. speaking, it's not zero. It's not yeah. Zero, no. You know. Uh, <laughs> but speaking of white people stuff, um, <laughs> I want to know all about the castle. But to say that's the name of the spinoff. 
just for the record, <laughs> let, let me just say publicly too, uh, for, for any, any cis white males that are watching this or watching the VOD, I love cis white males. You, you know, you don't ever need to feel bad about who you are. You don't have to feel guilty. I mean, every once in a while, people throw that disingenuous crap of, I'm sorry for being white. I'm like, nobody's asking you for that. There's <laughs> white guys that I would kill or die for today. There's mm-hmm. white guys I love like my brothers and would do anything for. None of us are knocking that. We're just saying we're kind of full up on their point of view on literally everything. And yeah. some other people have some ideas and thoughts and, you know, stories that we'd like to tell and consume and also participate in some of those stories that they're telling and consume. Yeah. That's all. I think, I think that's a very concise way of making that yeah. argument. Like we are full up on that particular opinion. We know what you yeah. think, Chad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, the castle, the castle was great. D and D in a castle. I just, I just did three rounds over there. I, I, I did it once in 2019. Uh, I was supposed to do it earlier this year, but I backed out due to some, uh, some COVID concerns. Uh, but no, it's a great time. It's a lot of fun. Uh, if, a, if a person has the ability to, to go and participate in it, because uh, it is not cheap, but I, I do think uh, you get, you get your money's worth, and you, 24 hours of D and D with a, with a high level professional storyteller is in, in the literal castle. Is uh, it's, it's a pretty neat experience. Yeah, yeah. The images I saw looked amazing. Um, mm-hmm. For something like that, do they? Is it all kind of pre-generated? Like the characters are there, they just show up and play, or is there some work ahead of time? Oh, it's a, it, well, it, it varies by the storyteller. Some people did months of work in advance with their people. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't. I was like level twenty, literally whatever you want. Three magic items, one rare, one uncommon, one wondrous or artifact. <laughs> Build the most broken thing you can. Let's go. So. Uh, it, for me, it was an email, you know, but for some <laughs> other people, yeah. You're like, yeah, Cosmic was, Chaos, go for it. I, was, I Literally, the name of the campaign in D&D Beyond is Do Your Worst. Like, <laughs> I'm like, try it, you know, try to be more than I can handle. I assure you, you will not be. So let's go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and spoilers, were they or were they not? No. here's the thing like sometimes people talk about oh this character is too powerful this item's too powerful i'm like that's not a thing because if you ever run into that in your game first of all there's literally always a bigger fish and second of all i'm like i'll attack you with you i'll attack you with five (laughs) U's. you know here's your duplicates from the shadow dimension roll initiative (laughs) and, and run them all over yeah so yeah it's no problem Um, I do love, you're the one that kind of opened my eyes to this where you can have more fun with a level 21 shot than with like an early level one shot, because as a player, I'm always like, Oh, I'm so squishy of level one to three. And you're like, yeah, but the threats aren't as dangerous that you get thrown at, but a level 20, all bets are off. Yep. Well, yeah, I tell people because level 20 is my niche. Um, I mean, I just liked it. And I I heard very early that fewer than 5% of D&D campaigns have level 20 characters in them. That's not even counting characters that were played from level 1 to level 20, even if you started at a higher level. So most people don't get to experience it. And the game is actually way more dangerous at level 1, 2, or 3, where a goblin with an axe can crit and take your head off. And your cleric cannot do anything about it. So it's just like, good luck. It just doesn't uh, sound as cool. Right. Exactly. Well, yeah. it, and also a lot of it, it just becomes a, a question of like stakes and scale. Like the high level storytelling is no longer about what can they do because they can do anything. It becomes about what should they do. 
Um, and I, I told when, way back when, when we did Theogony at Kairos, which is the first stream I ever did, where they start, they started out as level zero characters who were chosen by the gods, uh, and got level 20 powers. Um, I was like, you know, you guys literally can wipe out an entire kingdom with a spell. Like you can, you know, like tidal wave or meteor swarm, like you win, but their five neighboring allies are all going to send their armies against you. And if 10,000 soldiers shoot at you, statistically speaking, 2,000 of those bow and arrow shots are natural 20s and you're going to get lit up. So uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe, it, maybe ponder these kinds of things when you're like throw it, throwing your divine weight around, you know? Um, yeah. Nice. Well, I mean, Dave, thanks so much for popping on the show. We just realized it's getting a little bit later, so we should get close to wrapping it up here for us. <laughs> I got you. Thank you for having me on. Uh, before I drop, I'm not going to drop, but if I just hit that leave button, is it going to break everything? Because I don't want to mess all this up. No, mm -hmm. we'll be fine. Okay. Yeah. All right, because, you know, you're going to be on an OBS, and it's like, Burr! it'll look like a Picasso painting. Oh, yeah, no, no, we're <laughs> good there. Yeah. But before you yeah. wrap up, like, can you let folks know what you've got coming up? I know there's a few more Black Dice societies, but give us, give us, the, give us the pluggables. I'm legit <laughs> trying to think of what I can say out loud. Right. Uh, well, stay tuned for an announcement about a thing this week or maybe this week or next. Uh, uh, the, there's, hang on, let me let me check the old calendar. Um, we this, I have to do the NDA dance now. That uh, we, on, on, I'm sorry. I'm saying we all get it. I do comic stuff. So I live in the NDA and Denise works for a comics person. So she lives in the NDA. So. <laughs> Well, on uh, the 17th, I think it's the 17th. Are we the 17th or the 24th? Well, soon there's going to be a thing coming. Uh, there's announcement, announcement. I think the announcement is on Monday. And then um, last three episodes of the Blood. Yeah, last three episodes of the Blood Society uh, coming to a conclusion that I'm sure is going to be fine. You can trust me this time. <laughs> oh, no. I, I... Come on. So I mean, I'm. I'm ready for it. I've primarily ran super hard my entire I'm, life, so I'm like, uh, I know how this is going to end. We're gonna. We started <laughs> with a wedding. We're going to end with a wedding, and this wedding is surely going to go better than the first wedding did. Like, how could it not? Right? What could possibly um, go wrong? Yes, um, significant numbers of things. Uh, <laughs> that. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting something, but I'd rather say too little than not enough. But what I will say is just follow me on the Tweetograms at Walters, and uh, you'll hear all about it when it comes out. Uh, also, my DMs are open, so if you have any questions about this, if you have questions about streaming or anything, you want to ask me, you can hit me up anytime. Ask me anything you want. Yeah, and I can say he's very accessible. Mm -hmm. One tries. <laughs> yeah. One tries. <laughs> yeah. Man, also, it was great. Shout out to Norm. I owe you a beer <laughs> next time I'm in Tejas. Yeah. He'll take you up on it. That and he'll get mm -hmm. you. He's got all the barbecue connections. So, yes, like I said, I'm, I'm from Arkansas. I spent a lot of time in Texas. I I, I know how it goes down. Yeah, <laughs> I have I have shared him the jokes about the Darconian brisk, uh, brisket recipe. So he's all uh, <laughs> old Broadfoot's brisket. Yeah, man. yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, and uh, thank you all. Thank you all for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks a lot thank for you. having thank me you. on, and I'll be listening to you again. So, <laughs> all right, we'll see you. All right, take care. Thanks. That's pretty cool. That was great. Uh, I liked him. He's all right. No, he's it's yeah. He's a lot of fun. <laughs> he's a all lot right. of fun. He's no, actually, he's hilarious, and I want to ha hang out with him all the time. That's it too. Like I, I started doing that thing probably about a year or so into Black Dice Society that 
I know listeners of this show have done in the past where I hear them so often, I start to think like, well, maybe we're buddies. You're like, no, we've never met. Like you have to like, be cool, be a pro about it kind of thing. <laughs> oh, the internet. <clears throat> yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that might be a whole show here. I think it is. Yeah. Oh, we're so good at this, you guys. Um, um, we Dave took a... all the momentum with him. <laughs> it's Tuesday, Melon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I'll, we'll put it in the show notes and stuff, but uh, Revnat is up for uh, one of the 10 best ciders in the cideries in the country. Through mm. USA Today, was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's it. <laughs> Wasn't quite as like devilish as I thought this episode would be. That's all right. Next year, gadget. Next year, well, that'll be episode seven six six. Or no, that's four years away. I, I got nothing. I'm sorry. I can't math right now. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah, none of us can. Um, the next fun um, episode will have to be thirteen thirteen. I don't want to keep Ooh, doing this show that long. I mean, no offense, but like that's that's more than twice as many as we've already done. Yeah, man, I'm really. I don't know if I'm gonna last. I don't want to be sixty and be like, "Hello and welcome to," <laughs> you know. I got the black lung pop. Um, <clears throat> I, I gotta, I gotta say that. Um, I was questioned at one point in my late twenties. It's like by friends that are like, "Man, are you like you run around and you do this costume thing or you do that?" It's like, "What are you gonna do when you're in your thirties? Like, you, you can't keep doing this when you're thirties. Like, hell, you're certainly not gonna do it in your forties. <laughs> you showed them. Yeah, I'm still doing it into my fifties. So you're like fool of a toque. While I I respect the fact that. Yes, you may want to pursue something different. Um, that doesn't mean you're going to stop being who you are. Right, yeah. This It just may take a different form. <clears throat> it's like when I get asked if they're like, well, my family will get me with like, well, what are you going to do when you retire? I'm like, well, I'm not. I'm a writer. I'm just going to, I might slow down, but I'm not going to be like, I'm done. You'll die at your desk. You know what? I don't make those jokes anymore. I almost died at the mic a month ago. Yep. We were there. I know. Uh, uh, yeah, I did not think that uh, that joke through. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm learning to have a little bit of sick humor about it. So I think you kind of have to. Levity is always a good thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kevin Smith rebranded his entire career after the heart attack. So yeah. I'm, I'm still trying that angle. So we'll see how it works. So far, eh. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> well, on that note. Yeah, no. <laughs> well, um, I didn't want to go into like, yeah, uh, behind the scenes dealing with publisher stuff. So, sure. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you've placed. There will be plenty of ads placed before and after the show. Yes. Um, yeah, because we went straight but, through on that uh, one. We did, but just a reminder to folks that um, if you are in Portland and attending the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, you may run into any one of us, if not all three. 
mm-hmm. um, throughout the weekend. Um, we will be there watching the movies, doing our best to um, gush over uh, Jeffrey Combs. Oh, man. Yeah. And Kelly Maroney is now going to be there as well. Which is pretty fucking awesome. Night of the Comet and Chopping Mall. Mm-hmm. Fucking Night of the Comet. That movie messed with me when I first saw it. That that movie explains a lot about uh, cheerleader <laughs> outfit fetishes that I have. <clears throat> oh! Cable, <laughs> hmm. hey, that's so original. It's really not, and I know that. <laughs> However... I saw it when I was an impressionable young lad. <laughs> uh-huh. These a things leave of, a mark. Times. Yes, they yeah. do. Yeah. Uh, Thank you, I will Ilya definitely from Star Trek the motion picture. Mm, bald ladies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sorry. <coughs> well, I'll definitely be there Friday night for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be there all 3 days. So, if you see me wandering around without either of these two, one call an adult. <laughs> yes, something's gone wrong. Yep, uh, but feel free to come and say hi. Don't lurk in a corner, please. Yeah, the only one who's allowed to do that is Dimitri because that's like his thing. Sure, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's it though. There's only just just the one. It's just Dimitri. Um, just it. That's I. It. I'll be there Friday and Sunday, almost certainly. Uh, <laughs> ironic, weirdly, I I'm, I'm, I can't go to the horror fest because of death on saturday all right then yeah that's true um (laughs) and uh our next few guests are all going to be from the horror realm of horror uh i've got to confirm next week's the week after that will be um alex spieth who is the director of stag um it can Continues to blow the fuck up. Yeah, it does. <clears throat> um, which is fantastic. I, I am looking forward to reconnecting with her and having her squee about how that movie is doing. Yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. I think she's going to be in Portland pretty soon, too, relatively speaking. She may be an in-person guest. Yeah. So, uh, What could to... possibly go wrong? <laughs> well, it's a school want... night this time, so... Did you want to... An itemized list <laughs> or an alphabetical yeah. list. That's true. It is a school night, but we can always schedule something that's not a school night to hang out later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I um, actually would like it to be chronological cable because that's the only way I can think about lists. Okay. I, I want will... mine to be biographical. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, now it's just getting weird. Yeah. Now- now you're just quoting High Fidelity. Yeah, you know what? I got some curry waiting for me, so I'm getting lightheaded. Ah, uh, okay. Well, we should probably call it a show then. Yeah, thanks again to our guest. It was a lot of fun talking to him. I had a bunch of things that were better prepared, and then I lost them, and then we had tech issues, and I spiraled, as I do. I I think it, I think it went fine. I yeah, think it went fine. fine. Yeah. Everything's fine. You recovered. Thank you. Uh, well, with that, I'm Aaron Doran. I'm Benarita. And I'm the thing that lurks in the dark. Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? <laughs> I, I, I panicked.